The Science Inside Podcast. This is the Science Inside. Science Inside. Dumela Moretsu Arona o Montle Reaho Amohela Mole Nani on Laruna La The Science Inside Rea Itumelisa Honna Lewe Na Moma Itibuweng A Kya Dumela Khore Ito Na Katiso Emonati Ili Tota And that was in uh, Setswana And uh, basically I was just saying Welcome back to The Science Inside And with that being said I am your host Bridget Lepere And I've just welcomed you and like every other first monday of a new month we bring on the show a dazzling scientist who will share with us their remarkable work and the things that they are doing and working on in their specialized field in science and tonight we are going to be chatting uh, to colin saguru who is a chemical engineer a research fellow at the university of the witzwatersrand in the department of chemical engineering and the reason why we are speaking to him tonight is that he has developed an economical, environmentally sustainable and novel method of recovering and reusing precious metals found in auto-catalytic um, auto converters of petrol and uh, diesel motor vehicles. And this recycling process addresses a number of demands, particularly in the mining industry, where the demand of precious platinum group metals, PGMs in short, is always in high demand, but not always one that can be met. And his alternative solution is profitable. It is environmentally sustainable, as I've said, and saves on the energy and production of uh, producing or extracting these metals. Now, if you don't know what auto converters are it has um, some PGMs in it and it reduces the toxic toxicity of gases emitted by vehicles through the exhaust pipe and uh, these PGMs are also known uh, are, or, or are also on Europe European Union's critical materials list a list which Collins was determined to exploit obviously for profit but for environmental reasons as well and because well the demand also is so high but before we get into the nitty-gritties of his work we look at what is interesting and what has been the insightful events that have been taking place in the world of science and in the news and you can catch us on social media on facebook as vow fm and tweet us at at VowFM, hashtag Science Inside. The podcast is up on iTunes and the vits.journalism.co.za forward slash science. And our WhatsApp line is 0840784912. So next up, as you would know, we have the news. So what do you have for us tonight, Masi? In your newsmaking headlines... The Department of Science and Technology has pledged 27 million rands to the CPUT's space program. CSIR showcases medicine dispensing, dispensing robots' capabilities. Good evening, I'm Masibulele Lunika with your Science Inside News. The Department of Science and Technology, DST, has pledged 27 million rands to the Cape Peninsula University of Technology's uh, space program uh, to boost South Africa's space efforts. Uh, this was announced recently when DST uh, representatives, CPUT students and local high school learners gathered at the plenary briefing on the status of the country's second nano-satellite uh, called Zycube 2 on the Belleville campus. 
the three-year investment is to help CPUT to build three nano satellites aimed at, to be launched next year. Uh, these will form the basis of a constellation of satellites to provide maritime domain awareness and veld fire detection applications for South Africa and the region. Zatube 2 with 16.5 million rands was successfully launched into space late last year and has started transmitting information to the CPUT ground station. Um, Boneni Muofe, the Deputy Director General uh, of Technology and Innovation at the Department of Science and Technology, said the big aim is to eventually have a constellation of nine satellites which will be the most advanced in the continent. He elaborates more on the project's aims. So the idea of having a constellation of satellites, which means more than one, and in this case we're looking at about nine or so, Mm-hmm. And that means that at the time when the one satellite has done the passover, the other one is coming. And when the other one does the passover, the other one is coming. So ultimately, you end up with a situation where you've got a 24-7 coverage. So that means that you are able to then collect the data that you need 24-7. And this is different from you maybe saying, okay, while you have done your passover, then whatever you were monitoring, if it, you were trying to look at sheets that are entering our waters illegally, by the time when you have passed, the ship can come. So when you've got a constellation, then at least you can pick up things real time. So that's basically the, the thinking around the additional investment. And there are a number of benefits being hoped for with the development of this constellation, others being ocean monitoring and veld fire detection. We Here. use this program to build human capacity. We're building high-quality engineers, and predominantly we're looking at black and women engineers. And we are very pleased that through this program we are achieving that. So that's basically one of the biggest things. With concerns around possible risks in the investment, the DST is confident that the team will bring good results as they already proved themselves with the second launch of the Zycube 2. Um, Monet, a Roman rather, CPUT's doctoral candidate in electrical engineering and the space program's um, project manager, elaborates on the technology behind um, this uh, new satellite. So CPUT especially has now designed and built two nanosatellites to date, and that is probably and that is the most by any African university or institution. And 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 what we mean about most advanced satellites is that no other CubeSat in Africa has had an uh, an automatic identification system on it, and also a and uh, a felt fire detection imager on it. So, and and it's all uh, packaged into the ZQ2, which is a 30 by 10 by 10 centimeter satellite. So it's very small and, and it actually does quite a lot for its size. This satellite is expected to be the most advanced in Africa. Roman says the satellites are due to be completed by September of 2020, although the launch itself may delay uh, more as the process of launching itself is uh, a lot of work. Uh, the Council for, Separ- so for Scientific and Industrial Research, CSIR, has collaborated with the Wright E-Pharmacy to develop a pharmacy automation robot for medicine dispensing. 
the robot built uh, in by the CSIR and Righty Pharmacy was displayed at the Intelligent Manufacturing Systems Manuvation 4.0 workshop, which was held at the CSIR campus in Pretoria recently. The robot is automated uh, is an automated machine that enables people to access their satchel packaged uh, prescribed chronic medication. It will work similar to an automated teller machine or ATM using robotic technology to label and dispense the medication. Users can either type in their details or allow the machine to read their prescription, uh, which has been issued by their doctor. The machine also requires personal identification to ensure that the medication is being dispensed to the correct patient. Moreover, it has the function to print labels with the patient's medication information and can add this to the sachet before it is dispensed to the patient. AVA34 will mainly be used to dispense chronic medication when medicines in medicine bags or sachets are supplied to patients. Further, the robot also contains a video call option for users to speak directly to a pharmacist to resolve any queries or provide assistance. The robot was produced locally and constitutes about 80% local materials. It is especially created for those with chronic conditions who require prescribed medication regularly. This model is was, was showcased as a prototype. It will be installed in Alexandra, Johannesburg, where it will serve as the first test model. Uh, it can then be installed at hospitals, clinics, uh, pharmacies countrywide with scope in the future to even export to other countries that use such a uh, packaging for medication. Recapping your top stories this hour, the Department of Science and Technology has pledged 27 million rands to the Cape Peninsula University of Technology space program to boost the country's efforts in, into space. The three-year investment is to help CPUT to build three nanosatellites aimed to be launched next year around March. The Council for Scientific and Industrial Research has, in partnership with uh, Wright E-Pharmacy, developed a pharmacy automation robot for for medicine dispensing. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for the news. Those two stories have been uh, really insightful and and interesting. And what is really uh, terrific about this news is that, I mean, these these satellites have been built by students and I think, you know, this um, this transfer of, of skills from people who are knowledgeable, who are experts in the field is growing, um, you know, the, you know, developing the skills of these young people, don't you think? I think so. I agree. And I can tell you that uh, as a CPUT alumni myself, I am, I can't say I'm not proud of where this work is being done. Uh, these are some good news because also late last month we witnessed a failed rocket launch actually uh, at the University of KZN. Interesting. Are you bringing down the University uh, of KZN? <laughs> actually, it's actually good to hear some good news in light of, of of developments like that. And I was even thinking to myself, if if some one of them can actually go successfully. How, how then um, can institutions of higher learning sort of coordinate to actually uh, share knowledge and skills between each other? Because it's happening in the same country after all. <laughs> well, uh, but I guess then, um, you know, it's nice yeah. to hear this kind of news. Um, yeah. Yeah.
Well, <laughs> anyway, that is all for the news uh, for tonight. Uh, thank you, Masi, for updating us. Pleasure, pleasure. And yeah, that was all from the news desk uh, this evening. Up next, we find out more from Colin Saguru after the break. You're listening to The Science Inside, bringing you science around major news events. Welcome back. You're still on The Science Inside. And as mentioned earlier, in studio tonight, we have our feature scientist, Colin Saguru. He's a student here at WITS, and his research looks at reducing mechanical waste waste by basically using chemical processes to break down, break down certain com- components where he may actually extract precious metals uh, from discarded car parts. Well, and with that being said, good evening, Collins, and welcome to the Science Inside. Uh, good, good evening, Bridget, and thank you for having me. It's only a pleasure. Uh, so I'll just jump right into it, right? We're going to um, look at more of your professional work. That's where we'll start with our interview. So now your um, study focuses on recycling catalytic, uh, catalytic converters from used motor vehicles and you recover these precious metals, namely platinum, palladium and rhodium. And by doing so, you're also addressing the global demand for these metals, which have been uh, short, in short, uh, in short supply for the past couple of uh, 10 years or so. But what is the urgency of of this kind of research? Okay, uh, so... You, you have rightly put it across. The research was focused on uh, recovering uh, the, the platinum metals from uh, the, the catalytic converters. Uh, I know it's a bit of a mouthful to say that word. Uh, so many people st- uh, stumble on it. But basically, uh, the, the catalytic converter is, is a device that is on the exhaust line of petrol and uh, diesel vehicles. So uh, its purpose is to reduce the toxic emissions as you put uh, as you put it across earlier um, that are produced when you burn petrol and diesel. Um, so the, the, the single biggest use for the PGMs is in these catalytic uh, converters wherein they are reducing the amount of toxic gases that would have been produced had um, we not uh, or had the, the the catalytic converter itself not been uh, uh, developed. So the, the the PGMs play in, in a very important or a critical environmental uh, role or a, a critical you know uh, uh, role in reducing the amount of toxicity that could be in in in, in populated areas. Think about the number of vehicles and the amount of petrol and diesel that is burnt in cities like Johannesburg, like Cape Town. Um, like uh, Lagos, you know those populated African cities, those populated European cities. So the 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 the, the PGMs themselves play a critical role, especially for the people that are within uh, these urban uh, areas. So you'd realize that you want to secure supply for such metals um, for the uh, simple reason that uh, it, they 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 are very critical in maintaining people's uh, health. Sure, and. Um I mean, with with platinum, I was of the opinion that it wasn't being mined as much because um, I read somewhere that um, with uh, with you know industries are changing and they're looking at alternative ways or methods of you know of getting their machinery to work. And platinum was just one of those metals that was way too expensive to to mine and and all of those things. So with um, I didn't think that, you know, it would still be uh, something that, 
you know, a metal that they'd still want to uh, look at. Uh, But now you've come with this innovation that is looking into this. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's quite true. Uh, they they would uh, it it would appear as if uh, platinum or the platinum age or the platinum phase is being phased out. Um, but when you look into the developments and the literature and the industrial, you know, uh, uh, research that has been carried out over the past, I could say maybe fifteen to twenty years, uh, they 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 all scientists and engineers have been trying to find alternatives uh, for these three PGMs, especially for platinum, for the simple reason that you uh, put across that it is an expensive metal. It is one of the precious metals, um, but the metals themselves have superior properties that no matter how much we have tried or no matter how much scientists have tried to actually make uh, you know do research into finding alternatives it hasn't exactly come to a stage where you can replace them completely industrially there is a couple of uh, 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 research projects that were conduct- conducted under a, um, a research um, a, um, grant in the europe which is called horizon 2020 and they developed a couple of uh, you know extremely novel very good uh, catalysts and uh, uh, materials that were supposed to to sort of like replace the platinum but then none of those things could actually come to commercial uh, profitability because of the superior properties that the platinum uh, group metals have got so it would appear that um, especially now with e-vehicles actually coming on board as well the electronic uh, uh, battery powered vehicles it would appear that the 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 age uh, as some would put it across of the platinum metals is coming to an end but it it certainly that would be just be the face value of it when you get down into the nitty-gritties of the industry it's not as clear-cut or it's not as straightforward that uh, platinum is not going to be of any use within the next five uh, within the next 10 within the next 15 years so we still have um a lot of work we still have a lot of um, uh, uh, functions which have a lot of uses for the platinum metals, um, which is why and which is what for, um, what inspired my, you know, interest in this particular group of metals. Um, so they're they're still around. I would want to believe they're still around. Sure. And um, let us get into your innovation, right? The novelty, the novelty of uh, of your innovation is that whilst the process to smelt and harvest these three uh, precious metals, um, because it, they require a lot of um, heat, meaning high temperatures, meaning we use up a lot of energy to uh, to process uh, this um, extraction of, of of the metals while heating them up. But now you are able to use chemicals to reduce the heating temperatures by about 1,600 degrees Celsius. What kind of chemicals are we talking about here? Are they, you know, are they good for our health? Are they, are they environmental implications implied here? Okay, so uh, um, the, the current technologies that are being used, like you rightfully said, are based on melting the entire so the the entire catalytic converter so that you try and recover the the the, PG, the, the pgms the three metals um and uh, that process typically requires an, an an expensive amount of energy like you need a lot of energy and and like you said um the temperatures that you need to actually melt the entire structures can go to as much as 1700 
degree Celsius. Um, so this is sort of like a pre-treatment step or a step that is required before you actually do the actual recovery of the metals that you require or the, the, the three metals that you need. So what we were trying to do was to develop a process that bypasses this entire step of smelting and goes to direct uh, uh, recovery of the metals and we managed to do that at a maximum temperature of just 100 degrees celsius now obviously that is going to come with a lot of uh, uh, energy um, uh, savings because you've you know bypassed that particular smelting step but it doesn't it, it, it's not a uh, you know, it's it's not one of those solutions that just comes from heaven. Obviously, it does come with a with a couple of challenges and well as well. And uh, one of those is is the one that you've mentioned, the environmental friendliness of the reagents that we use. But as with any other chemical process, you are going to have waste that will be produced. Now, the 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 the, the sort of like innovative step that or the innovation that we we uh, introduced into our process was to try and reduce. Um, the toxicity of the chemicals that would use. Unfortunately, I'm actually not at liberty to disclose what the chemicals exactly were, but um, I can tell you that compared to the uh, classic uh, method which is in, 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 in use right now, that is the smelting method, um, the, the process that we've developed has got a significant potential um, to not only increase profits because it reduces the energy usage, but also uh, to 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 also reduce the toxicity um, of the entire recovery uh, process as well. So that was the, the the main goal as we were developing the process to find something that can match the existing process in terms of performance, but at the same time, you know, provide extra benefits in terms of environmental friendliness and sustainability, in terms of uh, even um, um, uh, what you call it profitability, in terms of you know reduced costs, uh, in terms of increased recoveries, or at least match the recoveries of the current current process. So it is it is relatively. Um, or it has the potential to be relatively environmentally friendly as compared to the current smelting technologies. Wow, awesome. And I also spoke to um, Professor Sehliselo Ngrovu, who, who was your supervisor uh, on this project. So I have a clip from her, and yeah, she's going to tell us more about the motivation behind uh, the science. In my research area, my research area is hydropetology. So we look at a lot of aspects and we deal with a lot of minerals. So we do projects in terms of the minerals that we currently have, working with the mining sector and the mineral companies, which process minerals to produce metals. But we also look into the future where we are saying that the minerals that we currently have, although South Africa is a big country in terms of minerals, mining contributes a lot to our GDP. If you look at where we currently are in terms of the minerals, it's not where we way in the past. We are actually now very much below. We used to be number one in a lot of minerals, especially the PGMs, platinum group metals and also gold. But we are no longer the leading country in terms of that, which is also telling us that in future, the minerals that we have are not going to be enough to sustain us going forward. And if you look at the fact that we are going into the fourth industrial revolution, which is going to be sustainable only through the metals that we produce, it means that we need to be looking at other alternative source of metals. And if you look also at where first world countries are going, they are also looking at other alternative source of metals because they no longer have metals underground. 
So for us to remain competitive with all these leading countries, we need not only to be focusing at the minerals that we have underground, but also the minerals that we already have on the surface, which we call urban mining, the minerals that have already been processed, that are sitting in some of the recyclable components, for instance. So one of our focus in our research group is to look at the recycling of metal-bearing components and Collins had the privilege of looking at uh, the recycling of PGM spent autocatalysts because if you look at the autocatalysts that are in our cars, after they are spent, they are discarded, but they still have got PGMs in there. So the idea was to see if we can recover the PGMs from those spent autocatalysts and at the same time adding more to supplement what the country is producing in terms of PGMs and also reducing the impact of this waste material on the environment. Now, um, I would imagine that accessing scrap metal um, for somebody like you so that you can, you know, actually run a successful business out of it uh, wouldn't be an easy task. I mean, where would you go about? Would you have to sort of buy the metals? Where would you go to source uh, all of these materials that you need to be working with? Okay, that's... uh that's a very valid uh, uh, concern and a very valid risk to the success of the project now as a business outside of the academic sphere of developing, uh, uh, you know, a, a novel and and innovative process. Um, and when we were doing our risk analysis, it is one of, and even in the conversations that we've been having with potential funders and with, uh, you know, potential partners that we've been having, it's one of the things that constantly comes up. And I like that you actually bring it up as well. Um, because over the period of the past, I would say six to eight months, where I've now been looking at this project outside of the academic sphere and as a business, um, it's one of the things that I've actually been working on. And um, one of the things that we have sort of like, uh, uh, you know, developed um, or that we have identified as a potential uh, to solve this as a risk is to look at uh, the supply of the material from outside of just South Africa alone. So we have learned that um, uh, the, the current, you know, sort of like recyclers or the current collectors that are around in South Africa are only collecting from you know, uh, 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 you know, places that are here in South Africa. So we have uh, uh, actually been looking at the region, at the entire Southern African region, to say where exactly can we focus on um, as a source of material or as a source of scrap uh, catalytic converters. And that's when the advantage of actually me being a Zimbabwean came in because I, I managed to penetrate the, the collection uh, uh, structure in Zimbabwe. I've managed to have a couple of contacts in Zimbabwe. Now we're just looking for um, um, a bit of funding so that we can actually start buying some of this material and in the meantime we can be selling so that we grow our 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 supply structure moreover um i have had the opportunity because of a couple of you know numerous engagements that i've had uh and a couple of publications that we've also had i've had the opportunity of um um being approached by a, a certain startup um we're still in negotiations and we've got a couple of ndas that we've had um that is based in india and they have been in the business of collecting and selling um, and exporting their catalytic converters. So now they were interested in using a technology as novel as ours with uh, the potential for um, um, the environmental benefits, with the potential for profitability. They were now interested in partnering with a company like ours so that 
they could set up a refinery downstairs, I mean downstream, so that they can also reap the benefits of actually processing their own uh, catalytic uh, converters as well. So you see that in developing a supply structure, we are not only limiting ourselves to just um, Houting or, or South Africa alone. We are, you know, branching out and looking out for um, um, where else we can actually get these uh, catalytic converters because as you have rightfully said that is one major risk uh, to the success of the project as a business outside of academia so that's those are some of the things that we're actually looking into and doing to try and solve that particular risk wow that, that is really interesting what, you, what you've just said because um i think it will open up a whole new market that actually didn't exist and it will enable new players within even business to partake in, you know, exploiting uh, this kind of, um, you know, field of, of science or even in the motoring, uh, uh, in the, you know, the recycling and waste management. Industries. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's quite true. That's quite true. Yeah. Um, because the more we interact with other uh, players who are already established, um, the more it, it, you know, it befriends or the more it strengthens the business case um, for the project. Again, I have to say this outside of academia because it's an entirely different board game the moment you step outside of academia. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was going to actually ask you what are the far-reaching impacts, but you have uh, been mentioning all of these things. There's there's business, there's a health there's environmental uh, issues that you are addressing as well. And I'd like to talk about your company, Altmet. I reckon it's alternative metals. Yeah, exactly. Okay, <laughs> great. I like the name. It is also currently in the process of developing um, efficiently ca- recovering alumina and titanium titania from escom's coal uh, coal ash right and i believe this is also a response to um uh cutting the costs implied in uh importing and exporting of aluminium and costs of smelting and you and your team have managed to find this feasible way of extracting these metals from um coal ash so what is the what does this process look like because i mean when you think about coal and the ash i mean once it's once the coal is burnt out i mean what is there to do with it uh so so i'll i'll have to uh, uh, uh mention that um that that particular process is still at a very uh, early stage it, we've got a proof of concept of course but it's still uh, at a very early stage there's still quite a lot of work that needs to be done on that um but uh the 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 the, the, mo- the motivation uh, simply lies in the uh, production of so coal itself it, it it contains carbon which is what would require obviously for 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 producing electricity but it also comes with a whole lot of other um what we call inorganic materials that cannot be burned so whenever you burn the carbon you always uh, produce a whole lot of a whole lot of ash so south african coal for example it typically has between 28 and 30 percent um um, ash so the rest is carbon but then about 28 percent of that material is stuff that you can't actually burn um 
so you, you tend to produce because the uh, the energy mix in South Africa is predominantly based on uh, core technologies. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of this ash product that has been formed. Um, and there have been a couple of projects um, that have been taken to try and find uses for this particular ash. So I, I've come across projects where they were using ash uh in 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 um in bricks uh, in factory bricks i think there's a couple of companies that are actually doing that but you realize that um uh, escom has got a market only for just about seven percent of that age and there's humongous amounts of this age that is produced each and every year so that the motivation there was more uh it was more environmental in as much as it was also um, um, for the potential benefits because South Africa imports quite a whole lot of alumina as well, which is required for the aluminium industry, the local aluminium industries. So you realize that the motivation there is there is this thing that is being formed, this ash product that is being formed, and that will likely be formed for the next couple of years as far as ESCOM is using coal um, uh, as a source of you know energy. Uh, at the same time, it contains material that is being uh, uh, imported from from Australia. I think South Africa's uh, alumina comes from Australia. Um, can we not look at this particular ash product and develop a process that we can extract value out of it? And like my pro- professor initially said, the motivation is essentially to find uh, value out of what are what are supposed to be waste products. So so that is that is pretty much the the, the motivation. And it's a, this one promises to be a fairly long term project um, because there's still quite a lot of work that needs to be done before it starts making economic uh, economic sense. So there is value in 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 in, in that edge product, and that is what we're trying to look at to see if we can um, um, exploit that particular value. Wow, this is really phenomenal, uh, phenomenal work that you're doing. And I think you just gave somebody a business idea as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, they can come and talk to me and then we can have a collaboration. (laughs) Sure. Uh, But um, we, Colin is not going anywhere. We are going to go into Unscience and then thereafter we'll be back uh, with Collins. So stay right there and stay listening to the Science Inside. This is the Science Inside. Welcome back. It's time for Unscience where we look at the strangest side of research. And this is the part of that part of the show which we all love and we look at the weird the wonderful and inspiring things that scientists spend a lot of their money and time and effort on and today's on science was produced by masibulele and it is from live science and the music was sourced from no copyright sounds on youtube so let's get into it unusual unlikely unscience All right, let's get into it. So, Bridget, can I ask you a silly question? Sure, go ahead. I was going to ask you if you actually have ever seen or heard of Black Snow. Not the company Black Snow, but actual, literal Black Snow. Well, scientifically, it raises a number of questions. I would definitely be intrigued and would want to find out what has discolored this uh, snow however i would not say that it is likely the end of the world because the world has plenty of strange things really going on yeah i'm sure that is exactly what uh, uh, the mines and residents uh, of um, uh, several towns in siberia in the siberian region of uh, kuzbas um, who actually 
Uh, it's actually short for um, Kuznak Basin. So I'm sure that's what they thought uh, right before they actually witnessed um, their first account of black snow. So Paul of uh, um, area black snow recently covered uh, the region which is home to about 2.6 million people. And I must say the pictures look scary. So according to The Guardian, right, several British groups have proposed boycotting uh, Kuzbas coal until the region enacts stronger environmental protections. The simple fact is that there is no way to make coal use environmentally friendly. Uh, even if the black snow is not falling in your part of the world, remember carbon dioxide released by coal plants remains the leading cause of climate change. Wow, you make this place to seem like a really legitimate place <laughs> to film a horror movie. But what do researchers have to say about what is the reason behind this? Yeah, a good question, Bridget. So the main reason is that the region is also home to one of the world's largest uh, coal fields. Ah, I see. Now that that is logical. I mean, it must probably be because uh, the smoke and the soot from the burning of the coal, um, you know, mixes up with yeah. with the, the 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 snow while you know the snowflakes are still falling onto the ground. And then by the time it reaches the ground, we have you know yeah, a whole snow. pile of black snow. <laughs> well, that is very correct. So according to the Guardian and the Siberian Times, the toxic black coal dust released into the air from open coal pits uh, and improperly maintained factories in the region are the reason for the black snow. One coal plant official told the local media uh, that a shield or a shield rather meant to prevent coal powder from escaping out of the factory and malf- actually malfunctioned. Uh, but toxic black snowfall seems to be quite uh, regular in the area. So are you saying that this is not the first time that this is actually happening? Apparently not. So Vladimir Slivek, a member of the non-profit environmental action group Echo Defense, told The Guardian that uh, it is a lot harder to find white snow as opposed to finding black snow during winter. He said there is a lot of coal dust in the air all the time and when snow falls, what takes place next is clear. Well, so I'm one of those people who are really concerned about, you know, health implications of things when they do take place. So what are the risks implied and what is being done to counter this? But now, um, apparently, uh, what comes to my mind immediately, right, is, is this question. Of course, uh, of course, uh, well, if you listen to this, if we we'll, it will blow your mind, sorry rather. Kuzbeks is one of the largest coal fields, right, in the world. It spans more than 10,000 square miles, um, which is 26,000 square kilometers. So you can imagine the sheer size of the place alone. So a 2015 report from Echo Defense found that the citizens of Kuzbeks have an average of three to four year uh, uh, life expectancy that is shorter than uh, that of their Rush- Russian uh, counterparts. It adds that they are nearly twice li- as likely um, and, and twice uh, 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 likely at risk rather for contracting um, a tubercular tuber- TB in short and uh, childhood mental disorders. Yeah, and you know, as I've said before, 
my concerns are you know the health implications and i mean people live here and there are children who who are likely to play in this place and even eat the snow what measures are being put in place to deal with this predicament you know um i'm actually have to i actually have to to actually look beyond these borders and actually see uh, a broader look at other environments where you find these similar uh, uh, coal fields and mines. Uh, there's actually, this is not a, a story, it, although it's a foreign story, uh, it's not one that is very far-fetched from uh, our beloved country as well. And like in many parts of the world, this is uh, a sad reality facing many plant workers. Uh, the living and working conditions are questionable and unsafe. But the reality is many do not have much of a choice because not much seems to be done. Uh, for instance, black snow is a frequent winter feature in this region. Uh, mitigation attempts have been lacking, I quote, uh, and regional authorities were accused of, ma- of actually masking uh, the toxic uh, black stuff by literally painting over the white pigment, as according to Moscow Times, uh, a report from December 2018. Wow, that is completely outrageous. You know, I mean, imagine the the effort it takes for you to Actually go and paint. color this black snow into white one. I mean, they could just actually just use those efforts into fixing Actually those cleaning. malfunctioning ducts and, you know, really keeping their people safe. Exactly. Don't you think? I actually think so. So I did, I did my my small reading because uh, I was wondering who uh, is actually responsible for actually ensuring the safety and the environmental uh, friendliness in this in this in this neighborhood, and. Uh, a, a, a document which I found called the Environmental Outlook in Russia from the Federation of American Scientists actually states that Russia has a comprehensive legal and regulatory framework in the environmental area, but government institutions responsible for environmental protection lack the authority and capability to enforce any legislation. So environmental activism has been on the wane since the uh, breakup of the Soviet Union. Um, but I hope that actually han- answers that. It seems like Russia is is in a terrible state, governmentally, institutionally. But I mean, aren't there health bodies or environmental bodies in, in these countries to hold people to hold accountable? Because this isn't yeah. fair. It is not. I can just imagine being a citizen there and um, uh, being exposed to all these health risks and nothing is being done. So I, I agree with you. There, sh- there should be stricter uh, and more uh, firmer regulatory uh, powers actually enforcing safety. But in this case, it doesn't seem like... <laughs> it to be the case. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that is that is the unscience for us this week. Um, and uh, I think we can now head to the second part of the show. Well, as you've said it, we are going to go into the second part of the show with uh, Collins. So just hang tight and we return after the break. Unusual, unlikely, unscience. Stay curious, stay informed, stay on the science inside. Yes, stay curious indeed. You're still on the Science Inside and I'm your host Bridget Leper. And today, earlier on on the show, we had Collins and we have him right back and he's going to talk with us or talk um, about his his um, 
his journey in uh, the field of science and uh, we've learned quite a lot from um, the previous interview or the the interview earlier on about what he's been doing in uh, his field of, of, of science where he's actually re- reusing um, or actually extracting precious metals from um, catalytic converters and now we are in this segment this part of the show where we get um up close and personal and we ask him a bit more about uh who he is where does he come from and all of those things and um I, I spoke to your professor, uh, Professor Sikheselo Ngrovu, and uh, this is what she had to say about you. I've been working with him since 2016 or 15, I can't remember. You know, when I take students, I usually interview them, and for that project, we had about 35 applicants that applied to do that project, and we shortlisted about five and Collins was one of the person that we shortlisted and when I interviewed him he he showed a very strong research characteristics or potential to be a strong researcher and he was very logical in his answers and I could pick out early on that he actually had a very strong scientific background and I think I also picked out from some of the work that he had done for his undergraduate because he also had some work that he did which he even presented for some stuff on gold tailings which is another area that I work with so I could pick out already that he was very strong in terms of research when he started working here, he was one of the most diligent students that I've actually ever worked with. You know, when students submit their first proposal, usually as a supervisor, you know that most of the stuff that is actually going to be written in the first draft is usually not much to write home about. So you spend a lot of your time guiding them in order to get to the direction of the actual work that has to be done. But the first draft that Collins wrote to me already showed that he understood the topic that he was working on. And this arguments were very clear in terms of where he was going and why he was choosing the process direction that he was choosing. I was very impressed by that. Even during the time when he was doing his work, I think he took a very short time to complete his MSc and when he did it, it was actually work that was of very high quality and I was very proud of that. He spent a lot of time in the lab doing most of his experimental work and sometimes when he didn't understand what he needed to do, he would consult and we even have arguments in terms of where he was to go and he would motivate in terms of the direction which to me actually showed me that he owned the project which is one of the things I try to encourage my students to do when I give them a project to do I usually want them to own the project so that they know more than I do by the time they finish and with Collins I could tell halfway through that he already was at a higher level in terms of what he wanted to do so I was very diligent and also wanted to do more than Actually, what I thought I'd wanted the project to be in terms of the direction, he ended up going in a different direction from what I'd originally envisioned the project to be. So I could say that he was really a very hardworking person. Wow, those are really impressive words from Professor Nglobu there. I mean, that is just, it speaks to your character, the kind of person that you are. And I can tell from, you know, these questions that I've been asking you and you really well, you know, in, invested in, 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 in this project. Uh, but 
as as I had mentioned, we want to get to know you a bit more. And I, I read somewhere that actually you are Zimbabwean born and you actually mentioned this earlier on in the interview. Um, can you tell us about your experience? How was it growing up and growing up in, in Zim and transitioning, coming to a whole new country, South Africa? And what has your experience been? Um, it's a... I mean, growing up in Zimbabwe was, uh, you know, there's, there's, this, there's this narrative that has been uh, written about Zimbabwe out there so that every time you mention that you're, you're, you're from Zimbabwe, uh, there's this, like, uh, a narrative that people think. But I, I don't want to stand here and say I had a totally d- difficult time growing up in my country. Uh, I think Zimbabwe made me the, per- the kind of person that I, that I am. It gave sure. me the drive. Uh, that I that I that I that I kind of uh, have, and I try to put in everything that I put my mind to, um, and I think I owe that uh, in 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 great part uh, uh, to Zimbabwe. And when I when I came or when I transitioned or when I when I when I came down to South Africa for my studies and uh, to pursue my my my, my studies, um, funny enough, the change wasn't as big as I thought uh, uh, as I thought it was going to be because um, we tend to actually share a lot there is a lot in common between uh, uh, South Africa and and and, and Zimbabwe um, but I, but I can I can definitely say I appreciated the culture that is uh, in in South Africa I think we could copy that a bit and 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 have a bit of that back home as well because I feel like we've lost our culture a bit um, I, I really loved it when I came to South Africa that's one of the things that I really appreciated about about the country and um, moreover it, it has given me quite a number of 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 um opportunities as well because uh, what I'm doing here trying to commercialize my masters isn't something that I didn't try in Zimbabwe. I did try to commercialize, um, like Prof was, uh, was actually alluding to. I did try to commercialize uh, uh, my my research in, in in undergrad as well. I did try to form a company out of it. Um, it was in gold from again from waste material as well. Um, uh, and we did try to, to 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 commercialize it, but the opportunities that we got back there were not as good as um, what we're getting here. The exposure that we got back there is not as much as you know. South Africa is this culture of, and I've seen it in the universities. It is this culture of trying to nurture innovation, um, trying to actually put the research outputs into the commercial field so that they can solve the real problems that are actually there. So it's just a matter of do you, as the person, want to actually do it? And if you want to do it, yes, it's not going to be easy. Um, it's going to be even more difficult given that you're from Zimbabwe. But if you want to do it, there's a whole lot of opportunities and you can push and, 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 and yeah, it can, it can, it can actually, you know, come out. So South Africa, the transition itself wasn't uh, that much uh, different. It wasn't very difficult um, to get used to, to, to South Africa. Um, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll say I owe it to both countries, um, um, uh, you know to be where i am at this point in time which is not much but um it's 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 relatively you know uh comfortable and relatively good i will say that it is much <laughs> i mean you're doing really great work i mean i'm i'm just totally blown away but by, by what you are you are doing i mean wow uh but you're also aware of many hats you're a businessman you're a student you've got a personal life to handle as a young person but how do you how do you handle all of these things? Because I can imagine chemical uh, engineering is not an easy field to be in. 
Oh, well, I mean, it's 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 always going to be uh, a challenge, uh, especially you know the, the 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 normal route or the easy route is uh, you know get your degree, probably get your masters, uh, look for a job, and uh, you know you know uh, that's 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 what would uh, what would have normally wanted to do. But I felt like I wanted to do to take the risk and take the you know the 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 so-called route less less traveled um and it hasn't been easy i'm not gonna lie to you it has been quite difficult but i believe uh the the, the greatest motivation has been number one that innate passion that i've always had um for 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 for, for sustainable development especially especially sorry the sustainable development uh, when it pertains or as it pertains to africa i started blogging about the role of chemical engineering i think when i was in my second or third year in university in my undergrad i used to write about um you know the role that sustainable development and sustainable engineering um has uh, to play in 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 africa's development per se so it's that innate um you know passion that i've always had that keeps on pushing me but more than that uh in innate passion or that why of mine there is always uh, you know uh, 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 friends around you and 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 the support structure that you tend to build through family through friends um through even the the guys that I'm working with and trying to 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 set up the project um also even through you know my work colleagues that support structure in and of itself is 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 just but humbling so that tends to like you know um um make it a bit easier to try and 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 and, and work and take this particular route that I would have that I would have chosen but by no means has it been easy I'm, I'm i'm grateful for it i like it i like the challenge i like the support and i like the wins i like the failures when they come as well um they are all learning opportunities sure and time is fast running out we are really nearing to the end of our show but um i have the last clip from um your professor and she's speaking about um the awards that you attended uh last year I encourage all my students, when they start their project, I try to get them to own the projects that they are doing so that they feel that it is their work. Even though most of the research ideas are mine as the lead supervisor, I give them the research idea. But I encourage them to own the work so that by the time they finish, they should be owning the work. And also to try to do the research, looking at it not just as an academic research, but as something that is marketable, something that they can run with, something that they can make a business out of even though i know it's a bit difficult but when they do the research that's the thinking that they should have in mind to say if i do this research where can i market it who can buy this type of work because engineering is all about applications so you don't want to produce something that just sits on the shelf or a publication without it being used some way so i encourage them to think like that that whatever the research that they are doing it should be something that can be sold to some way to somebody else or even to, to develop as a commercial project I was very, very pleased to see him entering that. I knew that he was going to be able to get some mentoring in terms of how he can develop that further. So we're very proud of our research group here. And I think it also encouraged the others to see that they can be able to do it too. And it's really led to a very changing in mindset for most of the other researchers in our group. And lastly... I'd like to ask you the last question for uh, the show. It pertains to these um, awards that you attended in Nairobi last year. Uh, So, I mean, how has this competition helped you in honing uh, in on your skills as an entrepreneur and as a chemical engineer? 
Okay, um, by no uh, 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 uncertain terms, the Africa Prize for Engineering Innovation by the Royal Academy uh, of Engineering has helped me a lot. Like it stained me uh, and it stained my thinking from being strictly academic into, you know, how can you make this a business and that you can actually sell to somebody and produce something that can make a tangible difference. Um, it has given me a whole lot of exposure, um, opened up a whole lot of conversations. Um, case in point, the Indian conversation I gave you and a whole lot of uh, other local uh, discussions that I'm also having just from the exposure. It gave me seed funding um, to actually launch the, the, the company itself. Um, it has it has been extremely extremely helpful, and I guess the greatest takeaway from that was you know stop thinking just like an academic and start thinking like a, a business person and how to sell this as a project to the next person. Wow, that has been very insightful listening to you. I've learned quite a great deal tonight, and I'm really motivated by the kind of person that you are because, I mean, you just, you know, persevering and, and pushing forward and um, please keep up the good work and keep uh, flying both flags because now we are <laughs> taking you in on our South African <laughs> side as well. Uh, but thanks a lot to our guests that were featured on our show, um, Colin Saguru and Professor Sekhiselo Ngrovu. And today, the team behind the scenes production is by Masibulele and tech by Gudrano Serame. And our podcast can be found on vets.journalism.co.za forward slash science and on iTunes, social media, Facebook and Twitter as Val FM. The Science Inside is produced by the Vids Radio Academy, funded in part by the South African Department of Science and Technology. That's it for this week. Catch you next week, Monday, same time. The Science Inside, Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. on PowerFM 88.1. The Science Inside Podcast.